How do companies create a culture and core values that employees actually live out? The team at The Receptionist, a bootstrapped Denver-based software company, sets out to answer that very question. Welcome to The Fabric Podcast. You're listening to part two of five of our employee supremacy series with Michael Ashford and Andy Alsop. Welcome everyone to part two of a five-part series that Andy, our president and CEO, and I are doing on employee supremacy and shareholder supremacy and our just cause and exploring all the intricacies of that. Andy, welcome back. I'm excited to talk about something that you have really been championing a lot on podcasts. So I got to imagine uh, you've got your talk track down on this pretty well, but this is this is an important topic to not just you, but the entirety of the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is something, as you said, I've been talking on a lot of podcasts about, and it's taken a little while to kind of <laughs> hone the message and refine it a little bit in terms of what we're talking about. So if you want a kind of a precursor to this, definitely go back and listen to episode one. If you haven't heard, uh, and I say episode one, not episode one of the Fabric podcast, but go back and, and the link will be in the show notes. Go back and listen to the episode on discovering our bold just cause. That was the first episode of this five-part series that we're doing here because that really serves as the precursor and the groundwork. It lays the foundation for what we're going to be talking about here today, uh, which is employee supremacy versus shareholder supremacy and the differences there. We made a little bit of reference to it in that first episode, Andy, but let's dive into first shareholder supremacy and and the distinction there or where really that thought process came from, like that lexicon of shareholder supremacy. How were you first exposed to it? Where did you see kind of the seeds of shareholder supremacy come from? Well, <clears throat> when listening to Simon Sinek, we keep bringing Simon Sinek into this, but I was listening to an Inc.com interview with um, Simon Sinek. And in that interview, he talks about shareholder supremacy and that 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 really kind of the nasty things that come out of it and what it is a result of. I ended up having to go back and take a look at what is shareholder supremacy. It actually comes from a term that is called shareholder primacy that was developed by Milton Friedman in the early 70s. And shareholder supremacy basically says the leaders of a company have to do everything necessary to increase the profits for the shareholders of the company. So what ends up happening is the leaders of companies have to make decisions that are not congruent with other stakeholders in the companies. Employees and customers are two of the biggest ones I see. Mm -hmm. They make decisions that are going to, let's say, for instance, let's reduce uh, our benefits for our employees down to the lowest we can because that's what we have to do to deliver profits to the shareholders. Well, the poor employees then are saying, well, I can barely make it. I, I have you know, huge medical bills and things like that. And in that thought, that, that system of thinking, you're saying the employees aren't really important. What's important is delivering profits to the shareholders. So that's what doesn't sit well with me. And it, you, you'll see it all the time. All the time you see tons of examples of how this comes into play. Now, I don't want to take up the whole podcast with that. <laughs> well, I do want to get into some examples because I think it is important to be able to identify mm -hmm. when shareholder supremacy is reigning supreme. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's make this distinction first here, Andy. Um, delivering value to the shareholders is not a bad thing. It's Absolutely. just how we get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is an excellent point. You know, it's uh, we talk about it at the company, and that is that we're not a nonprofit. 
we are here to, to make a profit. But the question is, how do you make that profit and bring it to the shareholders? It, it's, it's my opinion that what you're doing is you're actually focusing on the employees, you're focusing on the community, you're focusing on your customer and doing what's in the best interest of them, but primarily the employees. And then what happens? Your employees trust the company, the employees trust each other, and then they do amazing and remarkable things because they're not sitting there thinking this company only cares about the shareholders. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the difference in terms of how you change the thinking and the perception of the company. It's, it's actually, I, I always look at it as like this small shift. It's not that really big of a shift, yeah. but once you make it, you can you can really see amazing outcomes from it. And I'm going to use one example, okay? Because okay, you said we got go. it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> one is it happened, I don't know how, how many months ago, and I'd love to this for to be timeless pieces, but you can look back if this is years from today, you can look back. <laughs> there was uh, better.com went and hacked off about 900 employees. It was about, I think, 11% of their workforce. They were getting ready for an, an IPO. And what the CEO said in, in leading up to that event, he said things like, you all are a bunch of dumb dolphins, referring to his employees in an open letter to everybody because he was angry and frustrated because he felt like they weren't working hard enough so that they could get to the IPO and guess who that actually benefits? Yeah. The shareholders. Yeah. It's all about the shareholders. So now you have 900 people who were fired in a 15-minute Zoom call. Nobody came to them personally. They just found out they lost their job. If you were on the Zoom call, you lost your job. Can't pay your mortgage. You, you know, can't make your car payment. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you no longer have a job. Now, what does that do to the other, I can't remember how many, you know, I think it was 9,000 employees or whatever, 8,000 employees. Right. How do they feel? Mm -hmm. Are they sitting there going, <laughs> I want to work with this company. I've been called a dumb dolphin and I am... You know, I just saw the person sitting next to me, either virtually or in rea reality or whatever. They just got fired. How do I feel about working for this company? I'm going to get on a phone call and I'm going to talk to a customer about our products. Hi, Mr. Customer. I'm super happy to be working for this company. I'm a dumb dolphin, right? That is shareholder supremacy. It's, it's absolute worst. It happens all the time too. Never mind the fact that dolphins are like some of the smartest creatures on the planet, but <laughs> you know, want to again to bring up what Simon says in the Infinite Game. In that world where you no longer have any sort of tie or connection to the company, where you do not have trusting teams, where you don't feel like you are safe in your role, you lie, you hide, and you fake. Yep. So that you don't become one of those who ultimately gets the ax over a Zoom call, right? You you lie about your success or the way that you got that deal or you, or you you hide, you try to become small and minuscule so that you don't rock the boat, you never bring any bold ideas to the table that could be considered a failure, yep. right? Uh, or you you steal, you steal from you steal credit from other employees, from your fellow employees to make yourself look better and make them look worse so that you're always on that top level when the bottom level ultimately gets hacked off. And that is a, I mean, just a tragic way yeah. to exist. Yeah. And, and just <laughs> contrast that, Yeah. right? How is it that you are going to be a productive member of the company that's driving profits for the shareholders 
if you're in that environment, you're feeling like you have to just, you know, say things or you go into a meeting and you're just kind of like, I don't know what I can say here because I know that I might actually be berated for what I actually said and not actually going out there. But if you're in a, in a trusting team, you know, we talked about that. It's an important part of the infinite game that we keep talking about, an important part of employee supremacy. If you feel like your other employees trust you and you trust them and the company trusts you as well, then all of a sudden you come up with these bold ideas yeah. and you bring them and you say, and if the company says, you know what, if you fail, we don't care if you fail. We just care that we learn from our mistakes and that's it. So then you come to a meeting and you say, hey, I've got this great idea. Hey, it might fail. Great. Let's try it. And I'll say at our company, we've had some great <laughs> ideas come out of the things that we thought were going to be failures. Yeah. And they've taught us so much. And when we have failed, they've taught us a lot as well. So, Andy, you've been an entrepreneur for many, many years now. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what, what have been the experiences within that journey that have guided this thinking for you? Um, that have, have really helped solidify this, this idea of employee supremacy. Can you give us an idea of, of how yeah, that's okay. changed for you? And, and I have to condense 25 years of yeah. experience, but no, <laughs> I'll just give you some of the top ones. There are things that happen as a leader of a company, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, where you're met with making a decision about something that's really tough, okay? Um, let's say, for instance, in, in one of my prior companies, if we found that maybe there was a mistake on somebody's paycheck, we, under shareholder supremacy, you can say to yourself, well, the employee never knew about that, mm. you know, and I have to deliver as much profit and grow this company as much as possible. That's cash. In the end, you start kind of convincing yourself, that's cash that the company owns. That's, that's my cash. So, or that is the company's cash, I should say. So, I'm not going to disclose it to the employees. There are so many decisions like that or, or growth at all, all costs. Growth at all costs means that you're going to spend right up to the edge of your cash and you're going to hope you're going to be able to make it. But you then have to, when you don't make it, and that's what's happened in some of mine, I've had to sit down in front of people and I've had to tell them, I'm sorry, this is your last day. The worst experience I'll tell you is one where I had an employee what happens is if you, you, you operate a company that way and that company isn't doing well, you get rid of your worst employees first and you get rid of your best employees last. And so we came down to the point where we had let go of everybody, one of, one of our employees, and there's this, this poor woman who honestly to this day I don't think would ever want to talk to me again, mm. who ended up being the best employee. We were out of money and I had to go to her on December 15th and say, I don't have any more money. I can't even pay you a severance. She had kids. That was one of the, the, the worst days of my life. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that comes out of shareholder supremacy. And that was like, that I was like, never doing it again. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this. And I've had to like, you know, you still have to let employees go. Sometimes you have to, go to let employees go because there isn't a fit and that's fine because you can help them transition to their next thing. But being out of money and being kind of over the front of your skis because you're trying to go for growth. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. So it has completely impacted my why and how I operate the company. I always want to make sure. And we made it through a pandemic. We have plenty of cash in the bank. We didn't let anybody go. That's what I wanted to see. That's where we ended up, I think, succeeding with what we're doing right now. And it came from all those experiences I had. Yeah. 
You mentioned growth there. Obviously, uh, growth, if you listened to the first part of this five-part series, we talked about the fact that we have to grow. We have to be profitable to make this move forward. But where does growth fit in the employee supremacy model? Well, let, let, maybe let's take a step back. Define employee supremacy as you see it in your mind. Okay. Um, we've we've kind of talked a little bit around it a little bit. I'd love to like put a pin right in it and say, here's what employee supremacy is. Okay. So it's a contrast. You've got shareholder supremacy. And shareholder supremacy, the focus of the decision-making of all of the leaders of the company are to grow the shareholder value at all costs. So the, uh, the same is true with employee supremacy. We want to grow shareholder value, but it's not by doing so by focusing on the, um, on the shareholders. We focus on the employees. We, we make sure that the employees have everything they need to be able to feel safe, secure, trusted, trusting with their other individuals so that what ends up happening as a result in, share, in employee supremacy is that you end up with a team of people who are going out there and doing everything they can for the company because like, they're like, this company has got my back. It's not about the shareholders. So in the end, and what it all comes down to, the reason why you do this, you do this because you're a capitalist. You do this because you realize this is a better way to run a company. You basically say, I'm going to put the employees and the community that surrounds me in front of us, and I am going to focus on what their needs are. I'm not going to go and get in front of my way ahead of my skis, so I'm going to have to let employees go. You, but you are saying, we are going to grow. And then what you do is you're not having to manage the company the way you would in shareholder supremacy, which is you get all the lying, the hiding, the faking, and you've got to say, okay, I've got to give the support people and the salespeople scripts, and you better say exactly what happens. You've heard it, right? <laughs> yep. You call an airline. I understand your concern, right? They were told to say that. You, the, your employees are actually going to your customers with authenticity, and they are actually talking to them from a place of trust. And trust is such an important place. And as a result, shareholder value grows. Customers are happier. They have an authentic experience. The product is better. The service is better. All of those things come together. The company grows in the end. You mentioned airlines and, and the example that is used all the time is Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. And their, their approach to, you know, things inevitably go wrong. You're, you're flying through a tube through the air and, and things inevitably go wrong in, in making sure schedules match up and weather it, that affects it. Southwest actually provides every, every employee the opportunity. They have a stipend each day that they can give customers for, for whatever inconvenience they feel is necessary. Now, think about what that does, not just for the customers and gaining loyalty and trust there. What's super interesting to me, Andy, is what that does for the employee because they no longer have to sit there and be berated. Mm -hmm. that because somebody missed a flight and there's they've been given a script that says I'm sorry that you feel this way you're going to we're going to have to rebook you there's probably going to be a rebooking fee like all that stuff that we've all probably experienced with an airline it's so kind to the employee, isn't mm -hmm. it? It is. That's what the employees want to do. They want to take care of the customers. They don't want to be told that they have to do so through some sort of script. So I, I think that is a, a fantastic example. Now, does Southwest get it right every single time? Nobody no, does. it doesn't. <laughs> but what they're doing is empowering the employees and say, I trust you to use this stipend 
to be able to help our customers, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure it's not like, you know, $40,000 a day, no. whatever, right? <laughs> I want to say it's like up to $2,000 a day right. last time I read about it. So, But the, the yeah. thing that comes out of that is that every single Southwest flight I'm on is packed, Yeah, right? right. And it's just amazing. <laughs> and all the employees seem to have a good time. And I love the Herb Kelleher. He's like one of my favorite, you know, founder of, uh, of Southwest Airlines. He would get on the flight and he would hand out drinks and peanuts. <laughs> and what did that say to the other employees? You know, he wasn't sitting there. They don't even have first class, but you know, I would bet most airline executives sit up in first class or have their private jet or whatever else it is. <laughs> Herb Kelleher's, he's on the plane and the, with the other Southwest employees. It says so much about the company. So how does then, uh, certainly, you know, you and I are both on the leadership team here at The Receptionist. Uh, I'd love your perspective on how it affects the decisions that get made in those leadership team meetings when you operate under an employee supremacy model. What do those decisions look like? Can you give folks listening or watching a little bit of insight into what our meetings look like? It's a totally different meeting. There's a lot of trust among our, our leadership team. I've been in leadership teams where there's a lot of arguing, there's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of posturing. posturing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's saying, I've got to be the big dog here. Mm-hmm. What happens is we recognize that we have a mission. And what we're going to do is to benefit the employees that will then benefit the customers, that will be- then benefit the shareholders. And so what ends up happening, let's talk, let's talk about a decision. You know, We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we're doing the, 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 the annual um, you know, employee benefits review with our professional employer organization, which is uh, basically the company that manages all of our benefits and everything. And in the pandemic, everybody's coming to that PEO and they're saying, uh, so, so how much do you want to lower your benefits? Do you want to you know, make your employees pay more for your premiums and things because everybody's hurting? And I was like, mm-hmm. no, I want to increase our benefits. And so actually during the pandemic, we talked about at a leadership level about increasing the benefits. Yeah. There was complete agreement among the leadership team because we're living under employee supremacy, right? That would be a conflicting decision. If you're under under shareholder supremacy, you're like, I don't know if we should be making this decision. But if you're under employee supremacy, it was a five-minute decision. Let's do it. And then we announced it to the team that we increased the amount we were paying towards premiums. We now pay 100% towards premiums for the employees and 60% towards family, which that was an increase for both of them. And they were like, wow. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic and they felt like I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I don't have to pay as much for my insurance. That's what I need. My take home check went up. Exactly. My take home check went up. And so, and that's just one of many benefits. When you get to this mindset of employee supremacy, decision-making stops becoming this conflict between, I want to do this because I love my employees, but I got to do this because it's empl- it's shareholder supremacy and I have to be delivering as much as possible to the shareholders. That's really and and actually I sleep much better at night. Yeah. I did not <laughs> sleep. I go back to that just, you know, having to get rid of that employee, you know, not get rid of her, lay off that employee. I did not sleep though. I didn't sleep well for like a week. I sleep at night now. I sleep really well and I'm the CEO of a company. <laughs> you know, I, not many people I think that they see this as a stressful job. 
it actually changes this. It, it takes the stress out of the job of being a CEO. I don't know a CEO who wouldn't take that. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. You can actually live a life and yeah. enjoy it and grow your company at the same time. And that's the important point. The next series uh, at part of this in part three, we're going to talk more about those real life examples of, of employee and shareholder supremacy. But to, to wrap this episode up in this segment, Andy, you mentioned growth. I want to make it clear to folks for us as a visitor management system who are we're dependent on people walking into businesses and offices to check in on an iPad to notify the person that they're there to see during a pandemic when that wasn't happen, happening very much yeah. we grew by roughly 20% in each year of 2020 and 2021 correct growth happened and we still invested in our employees exactly exactly and we continued to add to the bank account as well there you go and we were growing cash and we grew that we grew shareholder value as well, and we had happy employees. Yep, and we had happy customers. Yep, <laughs> that how could you ask for anything more than that? Right. It sounds a little bit like Nirvana, you know. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are like, "This just doesn't sound real." But I just, if you just think about it, it's, it's I think a logical conclusion. If the people who do the work for the business and the people who work with each other trust the company and trust each other, don't you think that's going to translate? to actual improved performance. Maybe you can get more revenue per employee because you don't have, um, you know, you don't have to have all the employees because some of them are lying, hiding and faking or whatever else. Everybody's in there. They're all in the fight together. You know, they're all there wanting to be by each other's side and be there for each other. Culture is an important part of this. You know, we have an incredibly strong, uh, you know, we have strong core values, as you'll see on the walls behind us. We live them. That's an important part of it. And all of that comes together in the fact that the employees recognize they are the focus. They're the focus of the leadership team, not the shareholders. That change in focus, that change in perception is what makes all the difference. I think that's a be beautiful place to leave this episode, Andy. Any, any other thoughts or or things that you want to say on this topic before we jump into uh, the next part. Let's leave it there because okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one too. <laughs> All right. Well, I will just say every company talks about you want a culture, you want a great culture. This is the way to live it out. This is if you, if you truly care about the culture, which you're really just saying your employees. Right. <laughs> and are they happy? This is, this is the model. This is the way to live it out. So we're going to share more examples in part three of this five-part series. We we'll hope to see you back for that. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it, Andy. No problem. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Fabric Podcast. If you want to see a video version of the show, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash fabric, where you can watch video episodes of all of the content that we've put out on this podcast. You can see our bright, smiling faces, and you can see what our studio looks like as well. If you would like to give The Receptionist for iPad Visitor Management System a try in your office, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash free trial and sign up for a free trial. No credit card required and give us a try. See what you think. Until next time, take care. <laughs>